Hi and welcome to What's Next. This is a new episode and as always, Andrea and I, we are your hosts. So enjoy this week's episode and we start right away. Have fun listening. Good morning. Thank you that you are my guests today. How are you? Fine, how are you? Hello, Therese. Fine, yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we start... Right away with the first question, who are you? Please introduce yourself in the studio. Um, we are uh, Tiziano Schürch and Rina Rolli. We are two young architects uh, from Switzerland and uh, we decided to join forces in 2019 um, after we finished our, our um, education at university. And we work between, let's say, mostly between Zurich and Lugano uh, in Switzerland. So between the German and the Italian part. And on the side, we are also active in teaching. So uh, I'm an assistant at uh, teaching assistant at ETH and uh, Tiziano is active as a teacher, as a professor in Barcelona. Yeah, and we founded the name of our studio is uh, Studio Ser, so Schürch e Rolli, and um, yeah. Sounds really impressive already. <laughs> 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 But before we get deeper into this, we have some warm-up questions. First, what's your favorite drink? Alcoholic, not alcoholic. Mm. Uh, drink has to be alcoholic, so... Um, <laughs> It can also be a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say um, as simple as a... As simple and as alcoholic as a Negroni. So, I would say Negroni. Mm -hmm. okay. I would say... Let's say in the club, when I go to a club, it's a vodka mate. Can you remember the last time you went to the club? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. <laughs> the corona rules are not so strict anymore in Switzerland. Ah, okay. Good <laughs> But both good choices. I also like very much Necroni. Yeah. If you could develop a skill overnight, what would it be? Anything you want. Um... Well, I think Tiziana and I should choose two different ones so we can each give something yeah. uh, to the other. Now, for me, um, I think it would probably be the ability to switch off this uh, constant comparing between architects in the scene. I would like to turn off the FOMO, so the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think especially in the creative scene, this constant competition and comparing like is uh, weighing a lot, but I think it would also give me the chance to, I think, liberate myself in my private life a lot from things, but also create probably the completely different architecture. <laughs> and it sounds very easy to get rid of it, but it's actually not that easy. 
No, I don't think it's easy at all. <laughs> no, I, I also completely agree. Um, I, I was expecting like a, a, a director answer and I, I imagined just like a super nice skill would be to uh, being able to get teletransport from one place to the other. I mean, for example, for me, uh, leaving between uh, Barcelona, Lugano and, and Zurich and having the chance to kind of combine the, the best or the, the, the special uh, aspects of each place would be great. There is something that get, get close to uh, the teletransportation, which uh, are, are flights, but this is, let's say, not the best option in 2022. So um, yeah, teletransportation will be great. It would be. So then you have you are kind of a superpower together if you do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite hobby besides architecture? Or is architecture your hobby? Uh, this is a difficult question, I think, always for, for architects. Um, of course, we have private lives. Of course, we go hiking sometimes. Of course, uh, we go things our grandmas. But um, at the end, I think that besides architecture, we, th we have other interests that are quite close to, um, to architecture. I have to say that for me, um, actually at the moment, I, I am I'm doing a, a master also at, at, ETH, at ETH in spatial planning. And so this is kind of my hobby, which is architecture on, on a bigger scale, on a more territorial scale. And yeah, actually at the moment, uh, I don't have the chance to um, have many other hobbies, unfortunately, or fortunately. So you teach, you do a master as a hobby besides this and you have the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you travel a lot around. Yeah, and we're constantly on, on the train between Zurich and, and Lugano. So um, hobbies, um, yeah, they're not so easy in this moment of life. And you do still have time for my podcast. I feel really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a really young architecture office. Why did you want to be self-employed? Why not say... No, we start in an office and then let's see. Well, um, at least I started in an office after graduation and then I slowly went into self-employment together with Tiziano. But we were lucky enough to have our first commission, which was an, uh, a public commission. And this gave us kind of the, the kickoff to, to have our own office. And I mean, we also like to be able to implement our own ideas and without having to justify or to justify to the client, of course, and to the people of the place, but um, being able to not be supervised by another architect. I think this is a very nice yeah. way of working. <clears throat> I think there are also some, I mean, it's, it's very nice, but <laughs> it's, all, it's also not always the, the easiest thing of course uh, from an economical point of view but also the experience that we have we are constantly uh, investing so much time and effort to uh, get some 
um, idea or some technical, for example, know-how that if we would have probably worked long longer uh, in into an architecture office, we would have now already and and now since we we, we started almost directly after the the, the studio, um, we have to yeah we have to learn everything by by ourselves. So um, yeah, it, it's it's very fascinating because i think it's it's super super nice to um also learn it by by our our own but it's it's also quite an effort so sometimes there are sleepless nights i guess i mean we have a, we have an ongoing um building site at the moment so oh okay worry about do you already have employees we, we had an intern last last year um, but no at the moment we we don't we also i think like the the freedom of uh, for the moment of um, being small and being the two of, of us and and having and having that at least in the theory having the possibility to uh, go working into one place or, or the other one and having this flexibility that with a, uh, already a, a bigger office, uh, stru office structure, it wouldn't be probably possible. So I think we are still enjoying this. Yeah, completely understandable. Mm. It's better to do it with the one close to you. And then when you're fixed and everything is clear and you're not so, you're more yeah. calm, then you can maybe... Yeah, it's also so a financial question. Now we have to worry about our own salary, and if it's one a little bit higher, <laughs> and a little bit lower, it's also fine. Once you have an employee, it has to be a constant, and this is, I think, something we don't want to have at the moment. I think we're enjoying this freedom. So you have an ongoing construction site right now. Do you, besides this, do competition, or do you concentrate on this construction site? <laughs> okay. um, well, for the moment, we are uh, also the same freedom that we are trying to keep by not having a bigger uh, office structure. We also have it in the in, in our way of conceiving our practice. So we are not only working on like 100% of, of our practice. Irina is, is making some furnitures with um, another colleague from, from Basel. Um, she's teaching at, it, uh, at ETH. I'm doing the master. I'm doing um, this. Uh, I'm teaching in, in Barcelona. So um, I think that for the moment, we are just looking for a certain amount of, um, of work with, with our architectural practice. But that still allows us to do other other things that we think that it's super important. We are still quite young, and to get other mm, uh, other experiences from other fields that are not just the the direct uh, um, let's say making and building architecture um, for us is very important. So we just have uh, actually at the moment we have other projects, but our smaller project we are doing a house in uh, in. Freiburg, Freiburg, in Switzerland. Uh, but beside that, at the moment, we are not um, doing competition. So we are we have these three uh, ongoing projects that are um, direct commissions. 
So you both sit at the intersection of education and practice. How important is this intersection in your work and your ability to embrace ideas? Um, I think it's crucial. I mean, we were lucky enough to get actually a job at an university mm -hmm. nearly right after graduation, which is a very nice thing to have. It's extremely important, at least for me, then Tiziano, I don't know, but <laughs> to, like my students are only six, young, six years younger than me, mm. but they have a completely different mindset. And I love to work with them because they kind of give me the freshness to kind of stay, stay tuned with what is going on in the mind of young people. And of course, I'm also very young, but for example, and I think we will get to talk about this a little bit later, but for them, sustainability and mm -hmm. climate change is like the biggest topic. Whereas when we were studying, this was slowly rising, but was certainly not... Um, kind of the main aspect you would think of when when working on a project. Mm -hmm. And these aspects and this uh, freshness that comes from teaching for me is uh, very crucial and gives me also somehow always new drive to then uh, on the other uh, end of the week kind of work on my own projects. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I also think that for me, but I think that it happens to everyone that uh, it's teaching, the fact of having the chance to teach, to bring some content to other people that are usually younger than you, it's it's an incredible exercise to kind of make order in in your thoughts and, and what's what's actually um, important for you since you have to, um, to bring it, to explain it and to share it with, with other people. So there is this kind of selection and also um, reordering some things that you more or less consciously um, find interesting and, and you have to like formalize them put them into words and I think this is a very a very useful exercise that's true and let's be honest I mean how great is it that in part of your architecture life anything is possible and in the other you have a lot of more of constraints in the real world when you're building and it's nice to have this space where just anything stays possible and every semester is different yeah. also no this is also great and uh, one project lasts years and it's never ending and, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true that's what i probably miss most about Uh, university time that everything you do was actually possible and you had the whole freedom to do whatever mm -hmm. and whenever mm -hmm. not from nine to five mm. <laughs> yeah. who or what inspires you you already told me your students inspire you for some point but is there a special person or is it nature that inspires you before you maybe start some design process? Um, we have to admit we don't really have one architect that inspires us. I think for us, because we are so bound to the context we work in, um, we are inspired mostly by the life of people that happen around the site where we operate. So mm -hmm. um, we 
make a disproportionate amount of time uh, available for our analysis that we have at the beginning of our project. Mm-hmm. And there we, in public commissions, we talk to um, uh, nearly every inhabitant that is uh, around the site or that is kind of involved into the project. And there we get inspired by the stories that we are told, the anecdotes by how the spaces are lived. So actually it's the context and the, um, and the people that live in, in it. Mm. Yeah, trying to, to grasp really the, the the place in its deepness, which is also historical. Try to understand the identity. Try to understand what is important for the people living there, and yeah, and so not only the physical context. Well said. <laughs> um, what importance has nature in your project? What's your approach in terms of climate change? Mm, so the I, planet is burning. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. Um, I think kind of nature and climate change are for sure kind of... Um, um, change together at the same time we think that sustainability can have a, li- a lot of different facets uh, for sure a house or a building is sustainable when it's made out of sustainable material with sustainable heating and everything but we have a little bit apart from this like on top of this we have a little bit an other approach in sustainability because we think that if a, let's say a building is um, kind of eradicated in the identity of a place and the identity of the, the people can identify with the building, then this building will be taken care for, it will be maintained, and it will be, um, how do you say this, it will be um, probably not demolished as soon as buildings are demolished in Switzerland because the people can identify. And we think that this is also one kind of sustainability. So the longevity of the life of a building Mm -hmm. is created a lot with the identification of the people with this building. Yeah, and yeah, I completely agree. And and also I would add that in our, we had the chance to to work for some um, municipalities. And I mean, for us, the, the work of the architect is not only the fact of being um, sustainable in what uh, what in what he or, or or she is is building or designing, but also trying to be to bring this um, this theme these aspects, for example, to to a broader um, pub, publicum. For example, politicians. Now we had the, the chance to, to also try to to convince uh, politicians in the, the importance of of some aspects. So in this sense, I think that we also believe quite a lot in the role of the architect as someone that um, has this almost activist um, in the sense of being able to communicate, to convince other people, and, and not only by doing his uh, uh, her technical work in the most sustainable way, um, way as possible, but uh, to try to, to create this dialogue that then promotes the sustainability. Mm-hmm. 
And let's be honest, like in Switzerland, building gets uh, taken down way before their expiry date, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a real issue because people have the feeling that it doesn't fit their demands and standards anymore. And rather than overthink our standards and our norms and our needs, it just keeps like good building infrastructure keeps being torn down. And uh, I think that this is the first point where we need to work on. So there's no thought given to retransfer them into something different. Um, very little. I mean, there is a lot of uh, financial interest in investing mm -hmm. from, from pension funds and whatsoever. But um, so there is a lot of money that needs to circulate, apparently. Mm -hmm. And it's better circulating when it's on something new rather than on something that is refurbished. Do you think there's a need to build at all anymore? <laughs> <laughs> probably depends depends where no if it, the, the thing is that also if you look at the population of of europe in general um let's say it is now getting to a to a phase of um stabilization and then it will be probably decrease um but this is on um uh, if you look at the situation as as a whole if we make like a, a um, medium rate of, of all the, um, the the growing and the decreasing more or less it's stable but the thing is that there are like re re regional differences um, in which even though we would have enough space for, for everyone the fact that people are still attracted by some um, centers um, um, in those centers even though in other places you would actually have the chance to um, to give space to um, inhabitants you, you still have to to build um, we actually in, in Ticino for example uh, where we are from and where we are mostly working we have a very high amount of empty buildings um, mm -hmm. in, in some cities even up to ten uh, percent, which is really a lot in Switzerland. Zurich has like zero point something, mm. and so <laughs> here we, we think that um, that now the, the importance it's much more on what's on the relation between the built. So much more on the public space, much more on how to bring uh, value there where for um, decades has been built without any concern of uh, what is actually the, the whole product, the whole uh, comp composition. So um, also the product that we are doing at the moment now in in this uh, Mujo Valley mm -hmm. that is now being built, is actually not really about building because there are seven very small um, um, uh, interventions that kind of give a new a new value to places that already exists but the architecture itself it's um it's minimal let's say but but it's enough probably to get a new uh, vision of an existing space so yes and no building yes and <laughs> and where there is no need no building per se no <laughs> um how do you think artificial intelligence 
could help us with the climate change. It doesn't need to be expert knowledge. You can just make up a vision. I think this is a, a tough question for us because, as you said, we're not expert, but also we're kind of far away from the world of uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, our main tool is hand drawing. So um, <laughs> we're kind of at the opposite side. I think that um, it is for sure a tool that can help us, for example, understand where something is needed or maybe where something isn't needed. But the human factor for us is so irreplaceable and so, so important in our design thinking that, I mean, artificial intelligence can also be just another way to get to consumerism somehow. So another kind of technology that is added as a layer to our lives. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure you have another opinion <laughs> on this. No, no, I'm just always um, thinking, okay, everybody is really scared of artificial intelligence. We will lose our jobs. But nobody's talking about how artificial intelligence could save this planet. I, I don't hear any ideas. Not on the news, nowhere. So what should we do with all the really with this trash that we produce every day and that we just burn up in Ghana. <laughs> Do you have any idea? Mm. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course, um, artificial, artificial intelligence, it can bring... I mean, one of the biggest problems at the moment is that material or the costs of material are um, much less than the costs of labor. And this makes that the production and the also extracting material, it is still very, let's say, interesting for uh, investors then to, to um, recycle, for example. Mm -hmm. And there, there is a huge um, potential in being or producing in a sustainable way, since it will be possible to um, re by automatizing with some artificial intelligence processes um, that nowadays are only possible with um, with human labor. Uh, there could be the chance to make, like, to, to, to for example, recycle in a way uh, that will make much cheaper to recycle than. Uh, to um, just extract and and create new new materials, no. So this uh, automatization of of uh, processes that uh, nowadays are only made by human hands, for example, also cultivating in some very um, cultivating, for example, in a way that it's uh, that it promotes biodiversity. Um, of course, if you just have one machine that it's stupid that it just cuts the plants and you don't and doesn't seal and doesn't select you just have to have one kind of plant but if you have a, a machine that uh, with um, a super eye can recognize different um, um, vegetable different plants and, and pick um, on a very selected and precise way 
um, what is needed as it had uh, before made by by people well this could be in this sense like this 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 making the machinal work more precise i think that there there is a a huge potential mm -hmm. do you agree yes <laughs> but i think in general people should talk more about this topic also connected with artificial intelligence because this is the only planet we have so <laughs> it would be nice if it stays beautiful um yeah. how do you imagine the future design process you just said you draw mostly by hand what uh, program do you use if you do not use your hand i mean we also use a cut program so in our case it's a uh, vector works ah. uh, and rhino but uh, i mean it would be great to have tools that facilitate our work more and more i know that now um, BIM is uh, already there and kind of uh, facilitating the communication between uh, the experts, planners on the team and everything. But uh, I think, for example, in the first steps where you analyze the legal frame of a project, so kind of what is possible and what is not possible, I think there it would be great to have tools that help you. So in all these kind of mechanical still mechanical kind of finding all the documents that you need and finding mm -hmm. yeah all the, all the constraints that you have in your project there it would be great to have it um with uh, technical help somehow um i'm trying to learn gis so this is also quite cool for uh, like on a, on a more territorial scale these programs that allows you to see like all the land use um And, and select for your master mm, yes but then i'm i'm pretty sure that it's gonna soon be um, it's gonna be soon useful also for what we are doing as an office but yes i'm, I'm learning that from my master sounds really interesting i started <laughs> to learn python uh, like this coding coding uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, into artificial intelligence a lot no yeah <laughs> And then I sit here after work, <laughs> but it's really, really simple, simple things I do till now, because after work, it's uh, quite heavy to sit there and program something. <laughs> yeah. um, so artificial intelligence, you imagine it's a tool that makes the process a little easier. You push the button and then there come like, 10 to 20 variations, how you could do it, how it's possible. And then you decide and you take this and then you do your design. I mean, process. this could be something that happens already in the next few years. Now this yeah. is... Completely, uh... I think it's already here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know about it. Send it to us. Finland, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody who like helps you with the legal frame. I mean, you can click on a par parcel and it tells you some things, but the work that you have to do after that is still very big. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the human being should always be the one deciding. At the end, is, for me, the key word is interpretation, that you have to be able to interpret um, 
data. Now it's like with big data. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you just you just um, you just confirm what is already there, and this is the, in any in, in no way brings to changes. Like it will be like also completely freezing of our society, and there is always the need to also put things into question. And um, this is there is also this interpretation and subjectivity. I would say also that it's that is crucial. And contexts are somehow always so surprising to us that we couldn't give parameters to define it beforehand. Like, there are some parameters for sure. I'm not quite sure you can grasp it all with artificial intelligence, but maybe also because I don't know um, enough about it. Yeah, we will probably find out. Um, and how do you imagine the future work and living space? Will it go back after Corona to workplace and living place? You work, you go home. Or will it be like a fusion out of work and living that you don't actually have the feeling, okay, I go to work now because it it's kind of like more part of your actually living space and that you are more flexible you can work from wherever you want or do you go back to the office um i think that fusion might become more and more attractive we also think that um or we hope i mean this is a little bit of practicing of some wishful thinking but this individualization and this extreme cherish of the individual in society that has been happening over the last decades, that it might go back a little bit more to recognizing again the value of togetherness and collectivity. Mm-hmm. And I think this would solve already so many problems of the use of space that we have at the moment, um, that sharing a space is not maybe any more connotated with being something bad somehow um, mm-hmm. or something that is constraining. Um, but in our wishful thinking, yeah, um, norms of living together might be overthought in the next decades again. And this individual, very also a little bit egoistic and um, elbows out and arising of the ind- individual might not be the kind of the only way of, of thinking in our Western society. Mm-hmm. You completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I think that yeah, work will be flexible between, I mean, that we will be completely as we are now already, that we decide if we want to work in, in the office, if we want to work home, if we want to work from Zurich or from Lugano, we are completely free, but I don't see or I still recognize quite um, well the moments in which I'm working and the moments in the moments in which in which I'm in vacations. And I think it, this is it's still important. Then, of course, there is an influence of the two worlds, but um, they are still in, in my in my head, this uh, distinction. It's um, it's important in order to also being able to get other inputs 
But yeah, I think that in general terms, uh, also if you, if you see like the the last um, uh, anal analysis of of the, the biggest banks and so on, what what they what they see is that in the in the near future, at least two between two and three days a week um, will be spent at home. I mean, you will, will be working from home, and then the rest, yes, in the office, because I think that also everyone is recognizing. That there is this need of of meeting other people mm -hmm. but yeah 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 <laughs> you, you don't you don't agree. <laughs> yeah. i agree okay. like you need your individual life and the freedom to be flexible but also it doesn't work out if you just disappear No. And you just call me once a week or something. No, sometimes it's really important to sit together and talk over the plan because it's it's a different feeling. It really is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Last question. What means architecture for you personally? <laughs> This is the mother of all questions. Um, <laughs> so... Since we don't have like a top-down thinking, but rather a bottom-up, I wouldn't say participative, but somehow, yes. <laughs> and for me, architecture is kind of the background that frames life or in front of which life can take place, mm -hmm. but for sure not the foreground. And a background which you can relate with and lean on, but doesn't impose itself into your life somehow. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I, I would also say that <laughs> this background, it's also creating an identity. And I think that the nice idea of identity is that it goes from one generation to the other. So it's, it's not just life that it's taking part at the moment, but it's also the life that was there in the past that creates like a certain um, specificity or identity that then stays also for the lives that will take a place afterwards. I will just leave it like this. <laughs> <laughs> And say thank you very much. It was thank really you. nice to talk to you. And for thank you well. that you gave me the chance to have you as my guests. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. Yeah, we too. You're welcome. If you if you pass going to uh, to Italy, if you if you pass to Switzerland, you're welcome to visit us either in Zurich or in Lugano. You have the chance to decide. <laughs> Probably both. I would just call. <laughs> This was this week's episode. We really hope you liked it as much as we did. If you have comments, suggestions, critic. Please let us know and till next time on What's Next. Ciao, ciao.